Hello everybody, how's it going today? GoPlasma231 here back in day talk about weekly shonen jump issue number 44 of 2023. Hey, that's a nice easy number divisible by 11, 44, which is 4 times 11 equals 44. I like that, that's pretty fun. I, I love whenever we got cool shonen jump numbers like that. And while I can't exactly tell you what happened in last year's issue of Shonen Jump of 2024, I can tell you what happened in this one, and that's what this whole video is about. So yeah, we're talking about um, issue number 44 today, yeah, that's number 44 today. I think this issue is sort of a hitter and a miss in a few ways. If you don't know how we normally do this series, this week I have read 13 chapters in Weekly Shonen Jump, and I'll be going through them sequentially in the order that I read them. Of course, there are timestamps down below you can go and look at. Oh, if I want to hear what this guy thinks about Kagura Bar Bachi, the hottest new series in Shonen Jump. Well, I've got a timestamp for that down there, so you can go check it out. But as I was saying earlier, this is a very hit-and-miss week of Shonen Jump for me. I think there's a lot of really good and really awesome in this issue. But at the same time, there are a few chapters that just fall flat on a lot of aspects. Of course, there are a few series that are like... I haven't been great to begin with, and I sort of just read them because, well, I read them whenever I thought they were going to be good, so there are a few of those hidden misses, but overall, I think that this is a decent week for Shonen Jump. Not one of the better ones we've had in a while, but still, some decent chapters all around. If you want to hear my full thoughts on all these chapters, at the very end of the video, I'll be going through and ranking them from what I thought was the best series to the worst series, and I'll also be picking a most valuable player of the week who I thought was the coolest character, right? But like I said, I got 13 series to get into, so I think we're just going to go ahead and start it off with My Hero Academia, chapter number 402. This chapter is titled The Tearful Days. So, we sort of open up this chapter in a little bit of a weird space, as we see all across the world of My Hero Academia. Of course, there have been a lot of fights recently, and there's a lot of dialogue going on at the beginning of the chapter, pretty much explaining how this has been happening. Some people are like, oh my gosh, Davi has been neutralized, um, we can now confirm the refugee safety, like, Shoto's mission was a success. Oh man, Toga has stopped doubling, all of the Twice clones are finally disappearing, right? And we all see a beaten and bloodied Ochako laying on the ground. And then we finally get the whole idea that yes, of course, all of the Toga clones are fading, so all of the Twices that were in the UA high up in the sky are finally fading away. We see a bunch of characters' reaction to this, most notably um, Yaoyorozu, who's up there in the UA high in the sky, and she makes a big note of, oh my gosh, the Twices are vanishing. Big news right there, like, this is like big news Morgans from One Piece. There is no One Piece this week, so keep that in mind, right? There's my One Piece obligation. But as they're talking about all of this, a lot of people are like, okay, but here's your problem now, the Twice Clones are gone, but... All for one is finally nearing Tomura Shigaraki, so he can use the Gloop Court to get in range, and if that happens, this battle is pretty much over for us, right? Of course, during this time, Deku and Shigaraki are in their big fight, punching back and forth, Black Whipping back and forth, decaying back and forth, using their various powers. And we see that, um, as all of this is going on, of course, All for One is nearing the battlefield of Yue high up in the sky after pretty much taking down All Might in that big battle. 
And he is pretty much just going on one of his big evil villain monologues, just like, Oh, the moment I in injected myself the rewind shot, this exact spot right here became my destination. By granting Tomura the duplicate copy of my quirk, he'll become a perfect version that surpasses even myself, right? And... As he's just going through all of this, right? He's just like, Yes, I will smoothly perform the transfer without any risk of meddling by a majority of all one for all in general. And as he's going through this, he's reaching his hand out and eventually uses one of his radio wave loop works to pretty much go like, Come now, Toma Shigaraki, my other self, come towards me right now. And as he's trying to get this, Tomra sort of looks over to where he is, and, like, the gloop is starting to come out of his mouth and envelop him and bring him back. But pretty much what Shigaraki does is, like, chomp down on his jaw and make sure that um, All For One knows that, hey, I'm not coming over here. Don't interrupt in my fault, Dad. Right? Pretty much just doing that whole thing. One for all, it's just like, god damn it, teenagers these days. And of course, he's very upset by this. And he's like, oh, I guess my other consciousness has been swallowed up. He's like, well, it's no matter. He's like, looks like I'll have to go over there and do the legwork myself. So at this point, he looks down onto the ground where there is, of course, All Might, who is struggling just to keep on trudging forward during all of this. And uh, at this point, we do sort of a screen cut as... All for one start, suddenly starts flying over towards the UA high in the sky, and in his arm, he has not, nobody else than a All Might dangling from his legs, right? Um, All for one just goes to more of his I'm an evil villain speech, until eventually he just keeps going on about it, and eventually we see that Deku sees this, looks over, and just goes like, No! It's All Might! As we get the whole idea that Deku sort of already knew this was happening because inside of his consciousness where all of the one for all vestiges lives, All Might's consciousness was already fading away from up there. So he already knew what was going on. But seeing this, he just thinks back to whenever he, the whole thing of you can become a hero, even if you don't have a quirk, take my power and all of that things. And at the same point, we cut over to All Might's perspective in all of this, right? And he's just like, someone who can never let their dream die. I also couldn't abandon my own dream. As we see him, who is still being dangled by All For One in the sky, he's just like, my dream. And he's like, to be the symbol of peace. As we see that on his arm was a bunch of grenades and stuff from, of course, the one quirk he didn't use in Class 1A, which was Explosion Bakugo's quirk. He reaches up this bandolier of, like, grenades, sticks it up behind All for One, and just says, I will be the symbol of peace, right? And as All Might, or not All Might, One for All sort of looks at this, he's like, oh crap, and he thinks back to Nana Shimura, who whenever that big battle is going on, Nana Shimura was talking to One for All, as One for All is choking her out in the sky, and she just said, like, hey, All for One, you will be the one to fall to All Might without a doubt, and she just says, because... This madman, he's willing, Toshinori is willing to do even more unhinged things than you are, right? As we see that, of course, Toshinori All Might is getting ready to explode himself up times like, after this death, maybe you'll turn to a little kid kindergartner again, all for one. As, of course, he's holding up his arm, and the bombs explode, and that's where we end the chapter. Is All Might dead? I don't know. Let's see next time, right? Moving on, we got Undead Unlocked, chapter number 117 next. 
this chapter is titled Let's Get Started because guess what? We're going to get started. Haha, <laughs> look at that. So of course we open up this chapter with a color page and followed up by a two-page color spread which is pretty big cool because of course Undead Unlux anime just started so pretty neato. I'm happy about that. I haven't watched too much of it yet but I I'm excited to hear at some point, right? We pretty much start off with some narration from Apocalypse, of course, the big book guy, explaining a bunch of the Undead Unluck rules stuff. He just says that the Master Rules are a set of rules chosen after um, the loops lose to Ragnarok that will never disappear. In the previous 99th loop, Galaxy was the rule that was chosen, and that's why stars and celestial bodies have been a part of this um, 100th loop since the beginning. He says that chosen UMAs are, or UM, some UMAs are chosen then as master rules with, to possess absolute power, and 10 um, UMAs added in the initial stage are the strongest, and now one of them is a quest target. As he just goes, you all are dead meat. Um, Winning cars page spread, and of course, you don't remember what happened last time, Rip, Lala, and Layla are all at the beach doing general fun beach stuff where Fuku gave Rip a call saying, hey, six back, get back to the hospital, right? So they're heading back to the hospital, and as they're driving on, of course, Layla's moped, um, or no, Lala's moped, Lala's looking like, hey, what's it all with that black fog and miasma up there in the sky, right? And Rip's just like, oh crap, is that Uma sick to him? He's like, all right, we need to hurry back there. We didn't see that Layla starts to cough up some more blood. Of course, her condition is getting a lot worse by going into Sixth Territory. Layla makes the comment, or Lotla makes the comment of, Hey, Rip, are you sure we actually want to go back there? Because if we do, Layla's just going to get more sick, right? But Rip's just like, Hey, I told you didn't lie, Lotla. I'm going to save everyone in there, and I need to go there to do it. He's like, I trust that Fuko girl, and I also trust in your judgment. But at this point, Layla's like, all right then, well, or no, Lala, ah! Lala's like, all right then, sounds good. As they just sort of bust in through like a door frame, which I'll give it to them. That's an entrance for sure, right? But as they barge in, we see that Fuko's there and she's like, oh, hey, Rip, you're here, right? And Rip f f like hops down off the moped and runs over to Fuko like, hey, um, Layla needs help like right now. And Fuko's like, hey, I know. Get her to the operating room and start operating, right? Make sure that Lotla gives you a prediction though before it happens. Like, if you do this, you're unrepair mile fest. But rip to this, like, but hey, once I turn to unrepair, I won't be able to actually fix Layla, right? But Fuko is just like, hey, right now, that doesn't matter. All I can tell you is to do this. Saving the three of you, by all means, is what we, the union, are here for. And to this, Rip is like, what do you mean? The union? Who is we? Right? As he just sort of looks over to her. But at this point, somebody starts to speak from farther in the hospital in the operating room. And they just go, ah, things are fine as they, is, as they are, aren't they? As we see this guy, he's just sitting there and he's just like, I mean, listen to all of this killer music around us as there are cries and screams and shrieks for tears going on around them and both rip and fuka look over and they do realize who this pretty much is as they see him but this character just continues saying to like hospitals are sure sweet huh when faced with fates that i impose humans whine and resist 
and cry and suffer. Their bodies won't last even a hundred years. They can't leave a single part of themselves behind. Yet they do feel that their lives have worth. And he just continues, just going like, it doesn't even make a difference when they die, but still, they come up with things like medical care to pro prolong their own lives. It's a riot, is it not? As we see that this is, of course, sick, and of course, in the Uma's phase two form. So, yeah, this is our introduction to sick, and yeah, sick is a sick fuck, holy shit, man. But pretty much sick's just like, oh man, I will offer all these cries straight to God. And seeing this rip is like getting into defensive mode, like he realizes that he may have to fight this thing himself, and as he gets ready to get up there and do it, Fuko sort of like puts an arm back, like, hey, rip, and she's like, hey, take Mrs. Layla, I'll hold them back, if you want to defeat them, you need to operate first, right? To this, Rip sort of just grimaces as we cut do a smash cut to Latla and Rip carrying away Layla into the operating room. But before any of this can happen, Fuko's like, alright, to do this, I've got to fight this thing first to give them the time, right? Um, who's his face? Sick just continues like, oh, hey, you're the first seed, aren't you? Your body structure is surely different than the one before. Um, and he's like, oh, so you've decided to take on a master rule alone, huh? I could understand that from the previous leader on Justice, but can you hope to take that offensive against a Yuma, uh, Yuma without a vision-activated ability? Or what are you trying to pull by taking the defensive approach? He's just like, feel the strength of us master rules chosen by God. As he gets ready to face him off, um, we kind of suddenly cut over to the operating room where, of course, inside there, they can hear a large crash happening in the outside as apparently the battle gets started. To this, um, the operation starts to get started, right? I don't really know what to say at this point. Um, Rips is like, hey, Lotla, give me a prediction. And Lotla just says, like, hey, I guarantee you'll succeed without a doubt. Rip thinks back to whenever the three of them were all kids. And he just says, like, hey, Layla, or once you're cured, I bet it'll be the best possible life you can imagine. I'll wait you. And they're like, hey, what do you think that'd look like? And we see the whole idea is that Layla's just like, hey, the best life is the three of us being together. Always. As we see that Rip finally thinks of this determination and goes to put the scalpel inside of Layla's body to go and cut her open, but he suddenly stops halfway through as he can't do it, and he's like, what the scalpel stop? And he's like, no, my body too. As we, of course, see that Sean and Chikara are there, of course, with the unseen and, oh, unmovability, sort of being a foil to Rip there, and Rip's just like, oh, hey, what are you two doing here? And he's like, what's going on, right? And he looks at her and he's like, wait, wait, am I already under pair? Is that what's going on here? He's like, then who performed Layla's surgery? At this point, we see that Yasai suddenly, like, pops out of corners, like, hey, um, Rip, um, don't worry, she'll be safe. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And she's like, hey, we're not forcing you to fight, but the boss lady only wishes to show you to wave this. He's, she's like, hey, um, either you can live a quiet life or as we suddenly cut over to air, the entire battle is going on a sick, right? Fuko's on the ground. Her hair is out of her bun, of course, and her um, toboggan is somewhere to be determined, right? Um, but Six is like, oh, what's going on here? As we suddenly see a punch from Unavoidable come in and completely smack, smack Sick in the face. I don't think that's a tongue twister there. But as this happens, we see that Fuko stands up and is like, hey, 
I may not be as strong as Mrs. Juez was, but don't worry. Um, even so, I must overcome you all. And she's like, that's why I've assembled a team that will negate you, Master Rules. As, yeah, we see the entire Union team so far. We see Unavoidable. We see Nico. We see Ichika. We see Gina. Shin. Mui. Nico. I already said Nico. Tella. Billy. Um, Phil. Because we got to remember Phil's here, right? And just all of the other various characters in the series. And Fuga's like, hey, this is a team down. Negate you, Master Rules. And he's like, hey, let's get started. It's going to be Negators versus God and the Master Rules in an all-out war. And that's where we stop on Dead Unluck. I do enjoy it. I do really love that color page spread at the end of the entire Union cast. All of the there together getting ready to face down against Sick. So, yeah, I do like it. Again, I'm just not the biggest fan of the whole Rip, Lotla, and Layla stuff. I mean, it's cool, but it's just not personally my favorite thing out there. So, all of that. And of that, on to the Ichinose's Family Deadly Sins, chapter number 43. This chapter starts off the Ichinose family getting back to their home. And at this point, Subasa and Soda, who of course have their memories back, are just like, hey, we need to get out of this dream as soon as we can, right? And Soda's like, hey, we need to wake, make sure to wake everybody up somehow. Like, we've got to figure this out. Subasa just gives his words of encouragement. And as the two of them just start talking about, all right, well, how can we make everybody remember? Like, uh, they're trying to forget right now, so what can we do about this? And as they're suddenly talking, we see the mom walk into the room. And both Soda and Subasa look over freaked out. But she's like, oh, hey, boys, the door is unlocked. So she's like, hey, what are you two talking about, right? And Tsubasa just, like, jumps in, like, hey, mom, do you really not remember anything about what's going on here, right? And he's just like, because there's not, like, an entire way an entire family could just up and get amnesia. Like, it's just not possible, right? But so so just, just like, elbows him, like, hey, Tsubasa, cut it out. Like, cut it out. We don't need to do this right now. And the two of them just get into a little bit of a debate. We do is a little bit of a smash cut scene, them both sitting down on a, one side of the table with their mom on the other side of the table. And the mom's like, hey, so what happened, boys? Like, you can tell anything to me. Like, I'm your mama. Like, it'll be fine, right? But the both two of them are just like, hey, well, I don't think you'd really believe us even if you told you, right? But she's just like, hey, even if we all lose our memories, you're still my sons and we're all coming to help each other. And she's like, of course I'll listen. We're a family. And... Hearing this, Soda starts to freak out as we get a little bit of a Soda flashback as we see that whenever he was younger and he tried to say something, tell somebody about his day or various other things, everybody in the family would cut him off and talk about their own things over him, right? As we get a little bit of narration from Soda just going like, hey, I've always loved listening to everyone. I liked hearing their stories. And I feel like I was pretty good at making sure that they knew that I was actually listening to them, right? But he's like, but that really wasn't important in the long run. To be honest, I just wanted to tell them about my day at some point. And he's just like, I just wanted to say something about how I saw a Russian wolfhound on the way to work today. Or how me and my class was getting ready to a school festival. And we were just going all out with it, right? He's like, or maybe the fact that I just really enjoyed taking all these photos recently, right? <clears throat> and he's just like, just a tiniest bit. I wanted you guys to also listen to me. So pretty much just Soda hearing his mother here in the present just do the whole thing of like, hey, I'll listen to you. Soda's just really freaking out, right? 
And Tsubasa, who's beside me, is like, hey, is everything all right, Soda? But Soda's like, hey, Tsubasa, I'm sorry. Could we, like, talk tomorrow? And he's like, I, I just need to take a second and just go talk to mom, right? And Tsubasa's like, okay, like, is everything all right? But Soda goes over, and he's just like, of course, mom wants to listen now. Like, why Why is it now? What has changed with her? As he sort of just goes and confronts her about this, pretty much says that exact same thing. But as it all just keeps going on, eventually the mom just brings out, of course, the photo book from the beginning of the series. And she's just like, oh, hey, Soda, do you like taking pictures? I found this book here the other day, right? And she's like, it's sort of all of these lovely photos and your name was written on some of them. So I just sort of put two and two together. And she's like, hey, if you remember anything, you'll tell me about that, right? And Soda looks down on the album. He's like, oh, yeah, that was the album I made so everybody would be able to see the pictures I took. But I guess it didn't really matter in the end. And Mom's is like, well, hey, um, I mean, would you want to do like this professionally? Maybe, I mean, you enjoy it so much. But Soda's like, hey, there's no way I could. Like, Grandpa's too dead set against it. But she's just like, hey, then I'll go talk to him. And Soda's like, wait, what? You're willing to help me out? And... The mom's like, hey, don't worry. I'll listen to anything you have to say because you're my precious son. And hearing this, Soda just cries and cries some more. We eventually cut over to Tsubasa, who's inside his room. Shuri walks in and she's just like, does a little thing about it. And she's just like, hey, Tsubasa, I want things to stay like this. What's wrong with it? Here we can do things as many times as we want to, and relearn stuff. So we're saying that she understands what's going on. It's a really weird part of a chapter. As she's just like, hey, family's got a smile, isn't that right? And Shabazz's like, oh, sure, even so. And then we cut over to where Soda and Mom are. Soda's on the table crying, and Mom is just looking at the picture book. That's where we end this chapter. I do really love the entire bit with Sota and the photo album, and his whole thing of like, why does she want to listen to me now? It's such an interesting motive and idea for a chapter. But overall, I didn't really like to end too much. It sort of just is like so random. And like the whole build up last time of Shori wants to save Soda. It's just so weird and just doesn't have any grounds in this chapter. Yeah, I'm just not that big of a fan. Next up is Martial Master Sumi, chapter number 15. This chapter is titled Second Match. Beginning of this chapter, we get a little bit of a narration from, of course, the announcer at the underground fighting event, um, pretty much going through the whole idea of, hey, this is, was a school for delinquents, um, or this school for delinquents had gathered the biggest, baddest eggs from all across the country. With violence as his only curriculum, each day was a massive struggle. That was until one man stepped up into the war zone. He faced off against 30 gangs of men. He's taken home um, a swing from a metal bat. But he's never bent his knee to anyone. The man who was single-handedly um, brought to an end to the turf war, earning him the name the modern-day gangster, King Joe Sakura. And he sort of just announces this. And, of course, we saw the at the end of the last chapter, King Joe sort of got introduced in a bit more of a big fashion. Of course, he is Nito's next opponent. And he's just like, hey, Nito, let's go and rumble in the battlefield, right? And Nito's just like, Oh man, I don't know if I could do it with this guy. As we see that King Joe sort of just gets up in his face like, Hey, two rounds, three minutes each, right? No headbutt, no elbows, no blows to the crotch or anything. Like, me and you are going to fight mano a mano, right? 
And Nito's like, oh man, this is like the exact guy I don't want to fight with in MMA. Like, this is going to be such a mess. But eventually he just gets a little bit relieved. But like, all right, I got two former MMA pros there in my back corner. I'll be fine. I don't have anything to worry about, right? And we sort of see, of course, Yoshitoki's back there. And he just sort of talks to Nito, just like, hey, um, going by Iwa's video recording, this guy up here is a striker. Um, looks like he'll try to throw lots of solid punches at you, so watch your positioning and don't let him bait you into a slugfest, right? Nito's like, all right, sounds good, and gets ready to get into the match as it all begins. We see the match starts, and we see that Kinjo starts to run up towards Nito, right? And Nito sort of gets taken aback by this. He's like, well, of course my flying kick move wouldn't catch him off guard here, but... I still didn't expect him to be the one running towards me, right? He's like, why is he trying to rush me? We then see that King just sort of jumps up and does a rider kick towards Nito. Nito is just like, why is he doing a rider kick? He's like, it wouldn't hit me anyway, but still, this is just weird. What's going on here? We see that King Joe just like keeps trying to throw punches, a karate chop, do like just a general like hook punch towards Nito. And Nito's like, holy crap, like what's going on? He's like, I've never seen any of this guy striking form before. Like, what does he practice? Because he's not the, honestly the best, right? As we see that, of course, um, Yoshitoki's watching this. He's like, all right, I had a feeling sort of seeing this guy in his debut match earlier because it's like, this Kinjo kid, is it, he really just a complete and total amateur? As we see that, yes, Kinjo Sakura, age 19, he is a high school third year who has been held back twice. And he does not have an ounce of combat sport experience, right? As he's just sort of like twirling his arm in a circle like, Alright, come fight me, Nito. Like, we can do this, right? Nito sees like, alright, I need to get some distance from this guy. As we see that Kinjo comes in and is like trying to wail on him. Nito stands up and tries to do a kick to push him back, right? But of course, Kinjo coming forward just pushes Nito back onto the ground with this. And he's like, God damn it, my balance, I I'm off. And he's like... This isn't good, right? Um, but Nito's not like, wait, I'm on the ground. I can grapple. And he sort of like tries to coax Kinjo down to the ground with him. And he's like, hey, let's grapple. Come on, me and you. But Kinjo's like, hey, I don't kneel to anyone ever. And he's like, so so get up right now, right? And Nito's just like, what's going on here? What's up with this guy, right? And he's like, this just isn't smart of a fighter to do. He's like, what am I even doing here myself? But... As he's thinking all of this, Yoshitoki's voice rings out in the back of his mind. And Yoshitoki's like, hey, Nito, kid, remember, this Kinjo guy right now is giving you a fresh start. Capitalize on this, right? And he's like, you've been training hard for the past, like, two months. Show him how much ex uh, difference an actual experience makes in the ring, Nito, right? And he's like, all right, I can do this, right? Nito gets up into his fighting stance. And he's and him and Kinjo starts just start to brawl it out some more. Um, Nito ends up landing a few punches, and Kinjo just is still flailing his arms. Right as all of a sudden, Kinjo grabs one of Nito's arms as Nito is going in for a punch, and Kinjo's like, "Hey, you're just happening on all my sides, right? You think that I've never been out with one of you combat sports types?" He's like, "I've been through a hundred battles, and all of these taps you're doing." They don't even hurt, right? As Kinjo comes in with his other hand and just completely smacks Nito in the face, right? And Nito's just like, damn it. He hits really, really hard. And he's like, is it really just that much of a difference in our body masses, right? 
And Kinjo's like, hey, I don't fancy tr needing trains. Like, we're all human. Punch a guy hard enough, and he just simply goes down. That's just how it is, right? We see that he gets a good punch in Nito's side, and Nito sort of grits his teeth, right? But taking this into objection, Nito grabs up, grabs his hand, and just punched him, and then flips over, does some martial arts stuff, and puts him into a flying armbar. Now, I don't know martial arts, but this looks scary, right? And Kinjo is flipping out, and we get some sort of narration just going like, hey, um, lock joints require knowledge not only to execute, but also to escape. And being that Kinjo doesn't have any of this information, he's not going to be able to escape, right? As Nito is hanging down on Kinjo, Kinjo is not relenting. As he's just like, oh, this really hurts. He's like, I'm not giving up. And Nito's just thinking like, hey, if I keep this up, his arm is going to break. And he's just like, wait, this isn't some kind of brawl. Like, I, am I going to break this guy's arm because he's not giving up? We see a bunch of the people in the ring are all just like, hey, call the match. Like, this guy's obviously done. But we see that Kinjo just isn't letting up at all. But eventually the bell rings because the first three minutes of the match is up. Right? Kinjo's like, man, I'm not on my knees yet. He's like, hey, thanks for the lesson, Nito. You won't grab me next round, that's for sure. Right? And he's like, it'll be a slugfest with no tricks in between it. Right? At this point, we cut over to the Yoshi Toki's MMA, or Yoshi's MMA uh, ring shop, gym, gym, that's a word, where, of course, Yuya and Now are there, and Now sort of just says something like, hey, that guy's stupid, um, and he's like, if he keeps doing that, he's just gonna break himself, as she sort of mentions that maybe that is how she broke her arm to begin with, or sustained her injury. Cut back over to Dropout, where Yoshitoku's like, alright, Nito, he's like, you're gonna need to exchange some blows, some good blows this next match, right? And Nito's like, yeah, he's like, I'll be okay, I can see all of his attacks coming, he's honestly not that good at hiding them, right? But he's just like, hey, it's just so annoying, he's like, why do I have to be the one who cares about if I break his arm or not? Like, shouldn't he give a shit about that? But he's thinking about this, he's like, but we're fighting on a time limit, so... And he's like, if he's not gonna tap out and I have an idea... Um, and Yoshoku's like, hey, just remember, don't let it devolve to a slugfest, right? And Nito's like, alright, I got it. And that's where we end the chapter. I don't really mind this chapter. I like just seeing how much of an idiot Kinjo is. It's a fun dynamic to see, and then, of course, Nito sort of winning him out, but also that moral dilemma of, why does it have to be me who cares if I break his arm? He's the one being a dumbass, so why do I personally care? It's a very really interesting sentiment that I really do like. Next up is Mama Yu Yu, chapter number four. This chapter is titled, The Lion Bravely Stands. And as I did last time with Mama Yu Yu, I'm going to call this the Mama Yu Yu Speed Round because I'm going to see how fast I can get through Mama Yu Yu chapter this time. Last time I took like three minutes and 47 seconds, so let's see how quickly we can get through this chapter. All right, let me clear my throat. <coughs> And let's get started. So we start off this chapter with an idea that the continent of Mama Yu is called Presamont, right? Presamont is shaped like a cross with um, the top being north, the bomb being south, west, east, and central, right? We see that the entire story so far has gone on in East Premont, and they're currently hitting, heading to Central Premont, where the whole defense military organization is going on. We see that Corleo and Panleo are sitting in a train, right? And as they're sitting there, they're talking about sigil sorcery and how big of a deal this is, right? Panleo's like, huh, I've never heard of that before. And 
Cornelius is like, yeah, it was really, really weird, right? Eventually, Pamela asked Corleo the important question of, hey, between of Evan and me, which one seems stronger, right? And Corleo can't particularly answer this, right? Pamela goes on some weird rant about, he's just like, hey, I believe that if you're a man, you're strong. And he's just like, that's weird. He's like, hollow, hollow is strong. Men of his caliber are. And it's a little weird, right? Pamela's like, hey, Corleo, um, the hero we're keeping in Central Facility is relatively friendly, but you've seen an example of that not being the case. And he's like, hey, where you're heading now might be more of the same. Um, Corleo goes on a little bit of a note of like, hey, I don't want brute strength because I want to beat someone. I want strength so I can protect people because I'm a shonen hero. Isn't that great? He's like, I don't want to feel any regret because of my own weakness because I'm a shonen hero. And he's like, hey, I won't budge real no matter what. I'm going to do this. And as he goes on this whole big thing of like, hey, I want to be a good hero. His head is suddenly touching the ceiling because he used sigil sorcery to fly up out of his chair, right? Oh my gosh, it's such a big deal. On a other note, the train runs out of cold at the end, so it's going to be an hour. So Panleo goes to train up with Corleo on the roof. Panleo says, hey Corleo, if you can make me use my right arm during this entire match, you're cool, right? Um, but it's like the big Isaac Netero thing, like, hey, make me actually try from, or like, if you got, if you two can score, or if Kilo and Golan can score um, a basketball goal, then you guys are good, right? It's that whole thing, but worse, arguably. My speed round got interrupted there. Sorry about that, but I was talking about how this whole thing is worse than the Hunter Hunter situation when Hunter Hunter did, because Hunter Hunter's good, right? But all of a sudden, Corleo's is like, hey, I'm going to do this because my life depends on it, right? His sigil on his hand starts glowing big and bright, right? And all of a sudden, he starts to get some agility and go at Panaleo, right? And oh no, Panaleo doesn't even use his right arm to defend him, right? But all of a sudden, Corleo starts to fall down to the ground, but Panaleo has to use his right arm to outstretch to pick Corleo up, right? Oh my gosh, he had to use his arm, but in a different way. Look at that, isn't that just crazy, right? And all of a sudden, we start to get narration like, oh hey, Corleo was raised by the military. For his schoolwork, he goes through a special military-based curriculum, right? He is sheltered boy to the core, right? Which means he doesn't know women. And oh my gosh, you know that hero from last time? She's a woman. Her name's Alyssa Whirlpool, which... Alright, I'm gonna be a buck. Alyssa Whirlpool is an amazing name. Like, just name me a character Whirlpool. 10 out of 10 in my book, right? Or Whirlpool, right? I'm gonna call her Whirlpool because that's just fun, right? Um, she's 24 years old and she's a hero, right? Corleo and her shake hands. Corleo freaks out because it's a woman. What in the world? I actually did like this chapter for as much shit as I just gave it. Of course, Hunter Hunter did the whole, like, hey, try to squirrel me thing better, but... This is honestly just a fun chapter to see. Corleo sort of get, go through his resolve. I do like it and I do like Alyssa's design and... Her name being Whirlpool, which sounds like Whirlpool, is just hilarious to me, so I, I do like it. I don't know if it rivals Evan Allgreen, but Mama Yu Yu, I'm happy with it so far, right? Next up is Kagurabachi, chapter number three. This chapter is titled Witness. We start off with a woman whose name we will later learn is Hanau. We pretty much learned that she is an information booker. And she's known Shiba for a long time, but did not know that Shiba was related to Kunishige Rokuhara, the famous sword dude, until a little while later. 
And we see that that's when she first met Shihiro, was after the big attack where Kunishige died. Eventually, we see that she is in the future, which is now present time, because that was a whole flashback that happened a while ago. I don't know, it's a little weird. But she pretty much has agreed to help Shiro and Mr. Shiba go through and find out any information about the Hishaku Sorcerers and the Enchanted Blades, right? We see that one day a somewhat small girl walks into her shop, right? Presumably this is the person who gave the whole call on, hey, Chiro and Shiba, I've got information on the high shaku, right? Isn't that crazy, right? We cut to a point in the future where Shiba and Chiro walk in. He now is like, oh, hey, I hate you too, but like, oh, hey, Chiro, you're cool, right? It's fine. They go to back to see this girl whose name we will later find out is Char. We learn that she is apparently running away from sorcerers who are like the big bad guys in this universe, right? I don't know, man. This is just sort of a mediocre chapter through and through. I just don't have too much to say about it, right? Um, pretty much we see that in the past, he now was interviewing this girl like, hey, so, um, if you need protection from sorcerers, how much money do you have, right? And she's like, I, I don't have any, but I just need to be protected by this person who had a big, strong sword, right? So, you know, it's like, oh, Enchanted Blade makes sense, right? She's like, that was the aha moment for me, right? We go back to see that this girl there is named Char. There's some jokes about how, like, how smart she is or something, right? But eventually, we see that Char wakes up and points over to these two guys, right? Shiba and Chiro. And she's like, oh, you two are sorcerers. Are you guys here to protect me, right? But Shiba's like, hey, um, hold up there, Missy. Like, let's get some things straight. Like, first off, who is this bad guy and why are they after you, right? Um, this Char girl says, like, huh, I don't really know. And Shiba's like, hey, this is just isn't some place to go mess around and have fun. Just go in and go home, right? And he's like, are you, like, this lost? But Char's like, hey, I don't actually have a home. And... Sheba's like, so no mom or dad either. And she sort of just not shakes her head like, no. So Sheba's just like, all right, well, this is a toughie. Well, I guess we'll just take her to an orphanage. Chiro steps up and he's like, hey, what about food? Have you had any food in a while? And Char starts to say something, but her stomach growls. Ha ha ha, shonen comedy. You, you just gotta love it, right? Chiro's just like, um, so you haven't had anything. She's like, you want something to eat? And she's like, oh, hey, I want some tempura soba, right? Um, pretty cool. And Cheers like, hey, but if you want it, we'll go out and eat it. We see that they go inside and start to eat inside of the restaurant. Sheba like, makes a little bit of a note of, oh, Cheers really good at taking care of people because they had to take care of his deadbeat dad who was good at making swords. That's pretty fun, right? But we see that Char gets served some food. This is when actually Char tells Chiro her name. Um, as the two of them just say, go through some stuff, right? She was like, all right, well, have your food, but just know whenever we get done, I'm going to be taking you to an orphanage, right? And Church's like, hey, so you're not going to protect me, Dean? He's like, I thought so, this was the soba to seal the deal, right? But Chiro just says, like, hey, who said anything about that? Um, Like, me and Mr. Sheeta, this cafe is no place to be boring around. Like, we've got more important things to do, right? Um, But Chiro's like, well, then tell me why there's a bad guy after you, and I may be able to help you out here, right? And he's like, well, can you not tell me anything because you don't have an answer or because you're making it up, right? But we see that Char's like, well, I just don't want to tell you, right? And as the two of them are sitting there, we see some guy walks into the restaurant, right? He takes a seat behind Chiro and um, Char. And as he's sitting there, we sort of see that the two of them just starts to talk back and forth. And Chiro's like, so what's going on with the sword here, right? 
And eventually, Charge says, well, it was a cloud come out of it, right? And Chiro freaks out because, of course, one of the Enchanted Blades had a cloud come out of it. And he's like, hey, this can't be a coincidence now, can it, right? All of a sudden, the guy sitting behind Chiro, the guy who just walked in, takes his chopsticks, throws them into the jugular of the waiter who was trying to get him to order something. And he finally stands up. He's like, oh, well, I guess I finally found you. And he's like, that's a surprise. You have a bodyguard. Now do you, Char? And he sort of looks over. And Chiro's like, hey, who are you? What are you doing? Like, what's going on here? And this guy suddenly grabs a Daruma out of his pocket, throws it up into the air, and just says the word, invincible. As an, as an explosion goes off in this small shop, Chiro gets blasted out with his enchanted sword in hand. And this guy who is obviously a sorcerer, walks out with Char in his clutches, just like, hey, you're still alive and kicking, huh? Well, that's a little problematic, right? Chiro makes a little note of, like, Char, I'm sorry I doubted you, right? Char says, hey, please save me, Chiro. And Chiro's like, hey, you got it. I, I do like this chapter. I actually think this chapter is a lot better than Kagura bought, or not Kagura, uh, Mama used chapter four here, but... It just starts off a little weird. It's got a lot of, like, a middle-low point. This is hard to talk about in the sort of format I'm used to doing it in, so... I do like it, but not really a whole, whole lot to say. But, of course, we read three chapters of Kagurabachi. I'm keeping it, so that's pretty cool. Next up is Two on Ice, chapter number two. Of course, I'm recording these videos way in the future where Two on Ice is, like, at 15 chapters or something. I haven't been keeping up with this series, so... Just explain this chapter whenever I read it. Higuma and, or, is his name? Hayuma, that's the guy's name. Higuma's a guy from Jujutsu Kaisen, right? Um, Hayuma's here. He's like, oh man, I want to be able to skate, cool. And of course, the other girl, who, I don't, Kasar, I think it was her name or something, right? She's like, oh, hey, we can be a pair at skating. The two of them skate, they're good at it. Huma's like a soccer guy. I don't have too much else to say about this chapter. I liked it whenever it first came out. I mean, I ranked it, like, second from last, so I at least thought something about it, right? So, just in the future, there's no point for me to talk about this chapter at this point, right? Next up is Kill Blue, chapter number 23. This chapter is titled, No Beating an Unbeatable Game. Now, this chapter starts off with a little bit of the weird note that a lot of people don't like Kill Blue for, and it's really the part of Kill Blue that I don't enjoy. Of course, it is the whole, oh man, Odagami's a guy in like a, there's like a middle-aged man in like a middle schooler's body, and he's got this girl named Norin who really loves him, of course right now because of hypnotism, but it doesn't really matter, right? The chapter begins off with Norn just, like, fawning over Odagami, and Odagami just going, like, Oh, no, please, I don't want to have anything to do with this. He makes an analogy, like, of course, he has a daughter who is Norn's age, and he pretty much gives the whole statement of, like, hey, whenever I had my daughter, like, she was, like, five years old, and whenever she would go on, like, Oh, man, Daddy, I love you so much. Like, you're just such a great guy. Like, I just love you, right? He's like, all right. That is completely fine. Like, it's acceptable whenever she's young. Of course, they don't know the extent of the world and what they're saying yet, right? It's like, but if she were to say the same exact thing in, like, middle school to me, I don't really want to be a part of all of that. She's like, so I'm not going to, right? And he pretty much says, like, hey, I don't want to deal with this. And I was like, 
I, I need to find a way to get out of this situation as quick as I can, right? And eventually, Norn just comes over to Odagami and sort of, just, like, starts to flirt for more, like, pulling on his shirt, like, oh, man, Odagami, you're just so cool, right? Odagami suddenly, just, like, turns around, he's like, oh, hey, Norn, over there, right? And she looks over, and during this time, Odagami takes the advantage and sort of, like, does a little bit of a karate chop to her side to knock her out on the ground, right? Of course, Tenma Tindo's here, and Tenma Tindo sees this, and he's like, Oda got me, what are you doing there, man? Right? He's like, oh, oh my goodness, right? And he's like, it looked like to me like you and Norma are having a moment, and you just, like, knock her out, like, what's going on here, right? Odagami, like, tries to play it off, he's like, oh, dude, there's a mosquito on her, like, it's fine, it doesn't really matter. And as the two of them just start to bigger some more, we see that Cosmo Rindo walks up, and he's like, oh, man. I was just coming by to see how AG won today, but looks like you two beat him. Not the side I thought I'd be seeing here right now. And both Tinma and Odagami are just like, hey, oh my gosh, he's here, right? And Tinma specifically goes up and sort of grabs Rindo and is like, or a Cosma, his last name's Rindo, but I should be referring him to as Cosma because there's two Rindos here, right? And he's like, man, he's wearing, wearing Capo's clothing. Like, what's going on here? This is a really big deal, right? Um, it's, we get explained a joke of, oh, hey, they're wearing the same clothes because they bought the same clothes. They're not Coppo's clothes. Well, like, Coppo ain't naked on the street somewhere. Cosma finally just sort of calms everybody down. It's like, hey, after everything that happened here, um, there's a few things that need to be settled first. And he's like, first off, depleting. As he sort of, like, kneels down the ground, he's just like, hey, please, you guys can do whatever you wish with me. But if you could just spare my brother, pretty much saying, like, hey... I know that in our Hitman world, failure equals death. And he's like, I failed. I have pride and understand that what happened here. He's like, still, I would do anything to save my brother's life. So please, if you could just consider doing something. And as they're doing this, Tinma's is like, hey, what is he talking about this whole Hitman thing and like, judgment? Like, like what's going on here, Odagami? Are you going to kill the man? And Odagami's just like trying to has got to try to sway Tinma out of thinking this way. And eventually he's like, hey, Cosma, we will let the two of you go. He's like, but first we need to discuss a few things. But once that happens, please get out of our goddamn sight and just take AG with you. Like, it's not that big of a deal right now, right? And Cosma's like, all right, thank you. I, I really owe both of you for that. They sort of then just sort of like sit in like a circle and sort of just to talk everything. And as all of this is going on, Tinma eventually butts in just like, hey, you guys care to explain, like, what's going on here? I need some answer stuff. He said, Hitman, Odagami, you're just, like, not surprised by any of this. So, what's going on here? If you could please explain. And Odagami just starts to think, like, okay. Well, but eventually we see that Nekoda, the guy in his ear, of course, says to Odagami, like, hey, don't you think Kazuma's abilities would come in handy here? And this Odagami, of course, looks over to Kazuma, like, hey, hypnotize Tindo for us, right? And we see that Cosma just gets on it. He puts the lighter up in front of Tim Matindo's face, like, starts to do the whole thing, like, hey, I'm gonna count to three. Once you do, I'm gonna hear the sound of the lighter slapping shut, right? You'll fall asleep and you'll wake up and forgotten everything about today. And he starts to do it, and he catches um, a Tim Matindo who sort of falls asleep in Cosma's arms. But Tinma sort of just looks up and he's like, hey, what's going on here? What do you think you're doing to me, right? As we pretty much get to a joke of, Tinma Tindo is too much of a guy to have that happen to him, right? He is in 
brainwashable? What's the word they used? Um, hypnosis. Unhypnosable? I don't know. I, I do like the joke, and Odagami even makes a note of like, oh man. I mean, he's like, man, I, I don't, I can't help but laugh. It's like, it's just so Tinmo. It's, as a big enjoyer of Tinma Tindo, I, I do like that sentiment, right? But Odagami just like, all right, well, with that happening, I guess the jig is up. Like, we're just going to have to deal with this. As he pretty much explains the whole situation to Tenma. And pretty much just says, like, hey, because of this, I can no longer go to school. Because now somebody knows my identity. It's just not a big bit bad thing, right? Tenma makes a little bit of a note. Like, hey, well, Hitman can't go to school. Like, what's up with that, right? Um, and Odegaard like, well, I've murdered people. Like, I've done some bad shit in my life, right? But Tenma's like, hey... That doesn't matter. It's all the more reason you should go to school. I mean, you didn't have a choice to do all of this, but I mean, that's how it seemed to me. But I know that wiping your quite swing won't come easily, right? Because like, but to me, you guys don't really seem like bad people. And Odagami, there's nothing more to you like than like studying and going to classes and learning new things. And like, you can just move on from your past and keep coming on to school, right? And hearing this, Odagami just starts sits down, and, like just thinks, like, man. Why does this keep happening? First it was Master, and then Capo, and now it's Tinma too. Like, why is all this happening, and why do I just feel compelled to do what he says? And he's like, who is supposed to be the adult here? Because right now, Tinma seems like the biggest one of all. And he's, he's sort of having that moment. Um, he stands up, and he turns over to where Cosma and AG are. And he's like, hey, Cosma, that goes for your brother too. And um, he's like, man, it's right, and Cosmo's like, man, it's weird, he's like, every word sound like something AG might have also said, as all of a sudden, while the three of them are all standing there, sirens go off in the background, and Omi Odegami's like, hey, Cosmo, is this you're doing, but Cosmo's like, nope, those are the police, we gotta get out of here, right, and he's like, you guys slip through the back, I'll stay up here front, I am good at hypnotizing people, and they sort of make a joke like, but you weren't at Tinma, he's like, Tinma's just different, but as he pretty much just says, like, hey, I'll take care of all of this. You guys go back there. Um, and, but Odegami's like, hey, you still have to unhypnotize Horan, Norn. Like, this is a big fucking deal you have to repent for. But Cosmo's like, hey, once our transfer to your school is official, we're going to run into each other on campus so we can get it done, right? Which, Cosmo and Eiji are part of the roster now. Pretty cool. Eventually, we see Tinma, um, Odagami, and of course, Norin trudging out of the school, or out of the big bad thing that happened. We see that Kapo sees them and runs over and gives all four of them, or all three of them, a really big hug, right? We eventually cut to Monday morning, where of course, school is getting back in session. Odagami's walking to him, he's like, man, that was one hell of a weekend, right? And he's like, but it's great, I'm able to go to school after all that happens, right? But he just thinks about Norin, he's like, hey, I gotta be extra vigilant, I can't let Norin get too into me, he's like... We just need to get Norn out of Cosma's hypnosis, and we'll be fine. He's like, um, I just need to make sure there's no possible way our relationship can develop. I just need to keep dodging Norn no matter what. That's Kill Blue. It's not my favorite thing out there, but <sighs> this is a whole, oh, hey, Norn, same age as Odagami's daughter thing. It's like, I don't like it, but I do like the entire thing, middle of the chapter of Timma, just like, hey, Odagami you can keep coming to school. It's not that big of a deal. Like, reform yourself. Do what you enjoy doing. It's a really nice message game today. Next up is Nui's Exorcist, chapter number 20. This chapter is titled Ringo. 
we get narration at the end of this chapter explaining that there are four classes of Shikigami, which are each separated into their own realm. The closer to the center of these realms that you get, the higher the class and a greater of compensation required to summoning in the Shikigami. Ringo are the type of Shikigami that are at the deep center of this realm. Pretty much saying that um, all the exorcists who have availability to um, summon a Ringo Shikigami um, in their lives never actually doing it because um, Ringo summoning is something that cannot be paid for the price of just one life. It takes many. But that's old news because in the modern day they have these things called summoning pins that reduce the significance of killing people to summon Ringos, right? Whoa, big deal, so crazy, right? As we see that, of course, um, Moro, or, yeah, Master Moro here, had just summoned Ringo at number 11, first, second, and third restraining soul chains release, summoning Kurano Sakimichi at the end of last chapter. We get a two-bait thread with this thing appearing on screen. It looks insane. We get a lot of things that happen in this chapter, and I'm just going to speed through it because... I'm sorry to say, but a lot of it just really isn't that interesting. There's a whole lot of ideas that um, Kokatsu up where, of course, Gakuro and Shiroha saying, like, man, I can't believe that he actually used a summoning pin to summon a Ringo for just Nue, who is a clone. Like, this is insane, right? Eventually, we see that Nue hops up on the windowsill as um, Gakuro is just like, Oh, hey, Nui, I'm sorry for doing everything I did to you, right? But Nui's like, hey, nobody move. As she summons a protective barrier around all four of them, right? As we all see that Nui's face starts to crack, right? Um, and Kyokos just says, like, hey, we should be the ones apologizing. I can't believe that the family came with such a big plan to just end you guys. He's like, if Gakuro dies from wide raid attacked, then you, then Nui's clone will disappear too. Um, so you have no choice but to protect Gakuro, right? And Kyokatsu's like, man, they really got you good, Nui, isn't that right? Gakuro notices all the face cracks that are happening on Nui, right? Um, eventually, Moro gets up close to Nui and everybody in the window is like, hey, um, even then, I would have still been assigned to take you out. It's like, we don't know much about your power, Nui, and we don't have time to assess things at leisure. like, our family also takes failure very seriously, looking back to Shiroha. We see that um, Master Moro uses a move called Number 32 Rib, and all of the glass in the um, school building shatters suddenly. And we see that Gawker's like, oh, wait, that just shattered Nui's barrier, as it also shattered school windows, so okay. But Kyokatsu's like, oh man, this is as far as we go, huh? And he's like, I thought Nui that you may have been able to actually stand a chance about all of this, but I guess it's a clone connected to Gakuro. Uh, you did well fighting as long as you did here, right? As we see Kyokatsu looks over to Shiro and is like, Hey, sorry, it's over Shiro. Hi, it was fun while it lasted. As we see that all of a sudden, we Kyokatsu sort of starts to fade from sight. It's like, it's like part of him is a king. And we also see that it starts to happen a little bit to Shiroha's hair too. As all of a sudden, New Age just goes like, Oh, that's not a problem. As she goes over and puts like some magical barrier just around Shiroha and Gakuro sort of encompassing their two bodies. As New Age is like, Hey, you two mustn't touch this air. It'll just kill you outright. As all of a sudden, Moro's like, Oh man, you can't just do this, New Age. As he goes and starts to sort of like punch her and gloop all of her stuff together. 
I don't know. It's an interesting vigil, right? But all of a sudden, Moore's like, hey, what's this going on here? As we see, it wasn't gloop. It was actually chains that sort of go out and enchain around Moore in a way. He's like, oh, man, it's not over yet. And he's like, well, um, whatever's going on here, it's fine by me. I'll make you tap out. And all of a sudden, New Age's like, oh, my. I knew this moment would have to come soon, but not this quickly. He's like, I don't mind, though. Um, Gawker's growing very fast as well. However, you just lost a valuable aid from here onwards. Like, but she's like, it's okay. Um, I expect that you'll give all further your best. Before we can figure the word best, she starts speaking a different language suddenly. As we see that Moro just starts freaking out. As Nui just is like, hey, I take your boss is also watching through Shiroha's eyes. She's like, perfect. Um, I shall use this opportunity to show what it means to dominate. As we see that Nui is using a second hollow weapon called Star Slave, right? Moro's just like, man, I've never heard of such a thing. Like... This is crazy as Nue uses her power and swings out and pretty much cuts down this big bad Ringo creature summoning Shikigami thing and nearly hits Moro with it too. Everybody's freaking out and yeah, Nue is now speaking a different language. She's got two hollow weapons. Crazy. Um, yeah, that's where this chapter ends with Nue sort of showing off her new power. It's honestly a nothing burger of a chapter. Sort of just going through like, oh, hey, New Ace cool. You know why? Big power. And that's really all there is to it. I mean, I like it, but it's just not my favorite thing out there. Next up is Akane Banachi chapter or story number 80. This chapter is titled Choco Chocho Kanjakute the Okaban. Akane starts out this chapter by just sitting there thinking, he's just like, alright, so this Chocho guy is an Okaban-like master, right? But he also has a connection to a member of the Arakawa Arch 4, who could give me a recommendation, and he also has ties to my dad. Just who is this Chocho Konjakide person? Like, this is crazy, right? As we see that Akane is, of course, looking at this flyer, and as she pokes around her head out to Yurako stage, she just makes a little bit of note of like, huh, what's this? The vibe in the audience is super down right now. Like, this is just weird. All of a sudden, we see that Master Hesho or walks into the room, and Akane's like, oh, hey, are you okay? Because we see that Hesho's like very physically drained. He's like, hey, well, I can help you out with anything. Just let me know, right? As all of a sudden, a hand pops out of the suitcase that Hesho has been carrying with him, and Akane just freaks out, like, what's going on here, right? We see that Oscar is also there behind Akane. He's like, oh, so that's how you chose to arrive today, master. And we see that he starts to bow down, and Akane's like, oh, which means this must be Chocho Konjakute. Like, this is really weird, right? And we see that Chocho comes in merging out of a suitcase, which, great entrance, right? And Chocho's like, man, you know, that actually wasn't half bad. And he's like, you hear that, Asa, right? And he sort of just looks over to Asuka, like, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? He looks over to uh, Shows, like, hey, man, thanks for the assist. Like, I really enjoy it there, right? And I do love how Shows is just like, never again, Chocho. I don't care. I'm not doing that again. Like, that's just stupid, right? We see that a few more Rakugoku walk into the room and all just go like, ah, Chocho, you took an hour, an, an, another day to do another day of or unorthodox sneaking inside. You little rascal, right? And Chocho's like, hey, would you prefer if I came just to came inside of a cardboard box, right? But two of them are like, hey, just walk through the door now, right? 
they all just have a lot of fun. A lot of our Rakugo can walk up and sort of start to interact with Chocho, right? Um, eventually, one guy comes in like, oh, hey, Chocho, how's your luck been at races? And he's just like, I won 20,000 yen the other day, right? And you're just talking, Connie just looks like, man, this is really weird. Like, with Master Ura, she was an Okuban who pulled everyone close to her in a way it was almost scary. But in Chocho's case, it seems like everybody wants to flock towards him because they just like him so much, right? And we see that Kane and Karashi are both looking at this as this is going on. Until eventually we see that Chocho is getting ready to go on stage. And as he's going to, Kane walks up like, hey, uh, Master Chocho, right? Chocho turns around and is like, oh, hey, is this a lost little girl here, right? But Akane is just like, god damn you, right? But... Asagal is just like, oh, hey, um, this is actually Akane Arakawa, you know, the one who had the whole situation with Farine a while back, right? And Chocho makes a little bit of note about this. He's like, hey, um, he puts his hand on Asagal's shoulder, forces him to bow down, and it's like, hey, well, allow me to apologize for the trouble my pupil here caused you, right? But Akane's like, hey, nope, I'm the one causing trouble for him, right? But as the two of them just start talking, um, Chocho's like, hey, Akane, come sit down with me. He's like, you want to ask me about that flyer, right? And Akane looks over to Oscal, and Oscal is just like, uh, don't look at me, I didn't tell him about it, right? So Akane just shrugs a little bit, but Chocho says like, hey, it wasn't him, and I don't need to hear the story from Asa to figure out. She's like, so am I wrong? Is that what's going on here, right? But Akane's just like, no, you're absolutely right, I want to hear about that flyer, I want to hear about your connection to somebody, right? But before you can get that out... Chocho gets up and hands Akane a hand of cards, right? We see that she's got a six, a five, a four, a three, and a one of spades in her hand, right? But Chocho says, like, hey, I don't care about all of that. I just care about the numbers. He says, hey, do you know what the game um, Chobochi is? He's like, it's a simple gambling game where you try to guess what a dice roll will be. And he's like, when I roll these dice, put down the number of a card that you think it'll be. He's like, and Akane's like, well, I don't really play card games, right? But Chocho just cuts her off. It's like, hey, when you want to ask a favor to someone, you'll need to meet them on their level. It's like, I hate quibbling over a bunch of little things, so let's just let Lady Luck settle this one, right? As he's like, a single round of Chobochi. He's like, and guess wrong, and we're done here, right? And he's like, but guess right, and I'll just do about anything you want, right? And he's like, so what do you do? Are you feeling lucky here? And Akane's like, you know what? I think so. As we see that Chocho sees Akane say this and thinks back to a time when maybe um, Shinta, Akane's dad, did just play the same exact game with him. And he just goes, all right, no hard feelings then. As eventually as they get ready to play, we see that suddenly one of the other Zinza in the performance hall walk and it's like, hey, Chocho, the guy is um, finishing up his set early. You got to get out there and just go and get ready, right? So, but Chocho's like, oh, man, you're killing me. We're going to play this game. He's like, hey, Akane, we're, we'll play later. As he's like, hey, Asa, give me a bowl over here. And he plays, and Asa brings down a bowl. And Chocho rolls the dice and sees what they land on. And he sees it lands on double five, so a score of ten. And he's like, all right, that's not bad. Um, time to go big today. As, he, as we cut outside to where the um, performance is going on. And so many people are like, oh, he's finally here. Like, give it to us. It's Master Chocho. Oh, my goodness, right? And Akane makes it of like, hey, this place was so gloomy a minute ago. But now that Chocho's on stage, this his intensity level is just crazy. As we see Chocho just getting into the motions, like getting ready to like, all right, hell yeah, let's tell some stories, right? And getting into it, 
As we see that Master Rush Show walks up beside Akane, he's like, hey, Chocho always puts on such an energetic show, right? And Akane's like, oh, Master Rush Show, what are you doing here, right? But we see that a bunch of our Rocky Oak up here behind him, like, yeah, Chocho always does this, that's just in his nature, right? But, um, we see that Chocho's like, I mean, such as a such a fanatical following, it's even hard to get through the dressing room and the backstage for him. It's like, it's rare to see a Rakugoku of such star power. And there's like, star power, um, where he and I were dad, good friends, right? Um, but eventually, the end, ending of the chapter is like, um, Hashoda's going like, hey, you could, should concentrate on the stories. Like, I think you're the same kind of Rakugoku as Chocho. And that's bringing off the chapter. Chocho's introduction here is just great. I, I, I do absolutely love it. And yeah. Next up is, oh my gosh, <laughs> that was a bad voice crack, oh, let's get some water down that throat, alright, next up is Blue Box, chapter number 119, this chapter is titled, Almost Got the Wrong Idea, and the context of that chapter title is frighteningly scary here later in the chapter but we'll get to it right so we open up the chapter with of course it being valentine's day at emily high school and we sort of start outside there's just some no-name badminton team guys who are just walking around and they're just like talking like hey how many chocolates did you get bro and like everyone's like hey it's not about to like get how many chocolates you get it's about getting chocolates from like the heart and one of the friends is like hey the chocolates you got from the manager don't count, as we see that, um, of course, Ayame is handing out chocolates to every single boy on the badminton team, so we're just giving to him, and of course, those guys are just making fun of a friend, which, that's just a great start to a chapter in general, right? But as Ayame is handing out all of these sweets to all of these guys, she's like, huh, Kyo isn't here, and she's like, I mean, I prepared him a special box with an extra big helping in it, right, and I, I really wanted to give it to him, and she's like, well... If I if I gave it to him then then um he'd have all of those delicious chocolates so he's like man he would probably be developing feelings for me at that point but she's just like but he isn't here and I I want to give him to him but I'm also feeling really nervous about all of this right we then sort of cut over to another part of the gym where of course Taiki is there to sit down watching a badminton match as eventually some reporter calls him over and we see that this guy is sitting there with Haru and another second year third year uh, no it's a third year guy um along with uh haru right this guy's is like oh man i heard about um all the new emily high school um young competitor guy and that's you talk here i mean you just won that big championship like so i was hoping i could answer ask you a few questions right um, Haru makes it of like, hey, don't worry, this guy's mainly here for me, but, um, the guy ends up being like, hey, Taiki, um, at the national qualifiers in spring, you might have to go head-to-head -head against Haru, he's like, so how badly are you going to want to win that, right? And Taiki makes the declaration that I am not going to lose, and he's just like, hey, Haru's always taking care of, good care of me, but tournaments are a whole different story, he's like, he may be my upperclassman, but that is totally irrelevant, right? And he sees where he does this declaration. Haru looks out at him, and he looks over the reporter guy and is like, "Hey, please, I don't regret that up that he um yapped annoyingly when he said it, right? So, it, it it's just a comedy gold for sure, right? But seeing all this commotion going on, we eventually see that Ayame is sort of looking at them and sort of sees Taiki and sort of starts to think of Kyo more. As she's walking by, she accidentally bumps into Kyo, right? 
and the two of them just go like, oh, whoa, it's you, right? Um, and Kyo is sort of a little more low-key, so Yami sort of makes fun of him for it. But Kyo's just like, oh, hey, are you going to the second floor, Yame? And she's like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, shuttlecock while I ended up there, right? And um, Kyo's like, oh, well, I'll come with you then, right? Um, but Angami's like, oh, wait, no, 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 wait a second, no, no, I'm sorry, not, never, never mind. And she sort of just runs off, right? Um, but before she can get far, she sees that Hina and, of course, Hina's friend walk into her room. And Hina walks over to Kyo and gives Kyo a little bag of Valentine's Day candies, Pretty much just saying, like, hey, um, you heard me out the other day, so this is the least I can do, is just give you a little bit of a thank you gift, right? Um, and Kyo's like, hey, you left the receipt in it. Another just pure comedy gold moment. It's just hilarious, right? But Yami's seeing this, is she's like, oh, well, I gotta leave. I gotta go run off. So she runs off and says bye to Hina and everybody. And she just thinks, like, man, does Hina care more about Kyo than I initially thought? And as she's sort of thinking about all of this, she eventually walks out the school doors at a gym where there's nobody else sitting there but Mitsuoka, right? And good old Mitsuoka's sitting there just like all sorrowful, just like, oh, how did my life come to this? And Ayami's um, like, hey, what's going on, Mitsuoka, right? And Mitsuoka's just like, oh, it's nothing. It's like, I definitely just won't kill myself today because I didn't receive even one chocolate today. It's like, oh, man, right? Um... And Ayami's just like, hey, well, Mitsuoka, just by looking at the type of guy that you normally are, I would think that you would receive uh, actually a lot of chocolates, right? And Mitsuoka says that he used to, but back then he was always very popular doing sports and everything. But he's like, um, at that time I received chocolates from a girl, but it was actually chocolates from the girl that my best friend liked. And I valued my friend more at that time, so I gave the chocolates back to the girl, um, so I still had that friend with me. He's like, I, I still have that friend to this day, but ever since then, girls find me just insensitive, so just turn down every every time they want to give chocolate to me. And he's like, I thought I only want to get chocolate from the girl I actually really liked, but there wasn't really any point to it, but she finally found somebody, because of course he's thinking about Chinatsu, and he sort of knows a little bit about Chinatsu and Taiki's relationship in a way. Eventually, we see that um, one of the girls is like, man, I got a few leftover chocolates. They see uh, Mitsuoka, and it's that same thing of like, yeah, they don't want to give it to Mitsuoka because his smile feels fake, right? Um, Ayami looks at it and like, man, Mitsuoka, you got a few other problems besides just getting chocolate. But she eventually does things about the chocolates that she was getting ready to give to Kyo and ends up giving all those to Mitsuoka. She just says like, hey, <clears throat> don't get it, get it like uh, the wrong idea. This is just, like, an obligatory gift, right? And she's like, hey, just make sure to give me back double on white day, right? So, I sort of like that. But the sad part is that Kyo is walking by this as she sees Ayame giving those to Mitsuoka. And he just thinks, like, oh, man, I, I guess I dodged it. I almost got the wrong idea about Ayame, right? Which is, oh, come on, like, oh, man. It's just, like, so emotionally defeating just seeing this. Oh, boy. Um, eventually, we cut back over to Hina and Hina's friend as they're sort of walking down and seeing all of the new first years come into the high school. And there's like, oh, man, we'll be second year soon. Like, so much has happened in our first year, and I'm sure that next year will be full of new beginnings, too, right? 
Um, we eventually cut back over to Taiki, where Taiki is um, walking around to school. He eventually sees Mitsuoka, gets ready to go up and talk to him, but see that in Mitsuoka's hand is a box of chocolates that has a wrapping very similar to the ones that he saw that Chinatsu had yesterday. He starts to freak out, but um, eventually like he just can't concentrate during badminton. And eventually, as he starts to leave, he's running back down to the house where he'll be like, Chinatsu, what the fuck's going on? But Chinatsu's, of course, in that little grotto place on their way home. Pulls him in, is like, hey, come with me a second in here. She gives him a box of Valentine's Day chocolates, like, hey, these are for you, right? And Taiki's like, oh man, thank goodness, Mitsuoka Senpai and our box of chocolates, right? But Chinatsu eventually just comes up and, like, smushes Taiki's cheeks here, is like, hey, my boyfriend is you, Taiki, right? As the two of them just sort of do that, we get narration just saying that winter's ending and spring would come soon. This is an amazing chapter of Blue Box. I feel like I spend a little bit too much time on it, but there are just so many funny jokes in here and so many emotionally charged moments, especially with Ayame and Kyo's dismissal. And, like, damn, I feel for Mitsuoka here. Like, he's just trying to be a good guy, and he just gets labeled as an asshole. Like, oh, man, like, I just feel bad for good old Mitsuoka. I never thought I'd say that, but I have, right? Next up is the Elusive Samurai, chapter number 127, titled The Future 1337. Of course, um, Tokuyuki had just rescued um, Yasuge from the clutches of Shiba. And all of a sudden, look at that, Nita and his army are coming to help Tokuyuki. They've got 10,000 troops that are going to help fight um, the Shiba army. Shiba rings a bell in defeat and retreat because he's like, oh man, this won't work. He sends Usakusi Dono off to thing. He's like, hey, my brain cannot predict even farther in the future, so I will stay here, right? As eventually he walks down the stairs as Tokuyuki Kodro and all the other elusive warriors start walking up, right? Um, they sort of start getting to a little bit of a armed conflict in a way. We see that Usugi and the rest of his army, along with Nagao and stuff, are all leaving. Um, and eventually we see that um, one of these messenger guys is like, Oh, hey, Usugi Dono, um, I was supposed to give you one of these, depending on the outcome of what's happened here. Since you guys are retreating, but Shiba is saying, I've been told to give you number four. Number four reads like, Hey, um, if you were reading this, this is plan number four. This document details actions for Akanto and Ashikaga clan to take in the event that we do not fall and akike and the akia army um loses too many forces like this plan will require my death so i will die you carry out my designs and all of this stuff will happen because of this right politics i just love it pretty much shiba is going to sacrifice himself there's a whole lot of stuff with akia in the middle of the chapter it just isn't even worth going over um and then we just see that shiba think about all of the other people in when he was younger, and how all of them sort of, he looked up to him, but of course most of them got slain by Tokuyuki and everybody else. So he's just like, hey, it's how to settle the accounts of the Naksendai War. I'm done playing strategist and politician. I will now become a vengeful demon. As we pretty much see that they start to battle, as we get the um, non-Chocobo tag, the demon of revenge, Shiba Inega, pretty much saying, yeah, Tokuyuki and Shiba are gonna fight. I don't care for this chapter. I feel like the Elusive Samurai has turned to shit in the last while, and this just isn't even worth a damn, in my opinion. It's just... Yeah, I... I if you don't have anything any nice things to say, just don't say anything at all, so... That's just where I'm gonna be with the Elusive Samurai right now. It's just not my thing. 
Wrapping this entire video up, we're going to be talking about Witch Watch chapter number 127. This chapter is titled The Day of the Disaster Part 14. Of course, we start a chapter where Nico, Nimo, Kanchi, and everybody else is down there to be at the um, top or that one part of the mountain. Um, Miharu just sent a text pretty much saying like, hey, um, the twilight fell into the valley, um, Kanchi, send your crows to look at it, right? Um, Kanchi's like, oh, send a clothes to go after the flower. Um, they start to get into a little bit of just, like, debate between them. Um, pretty much a whole big deal is that Keigo's like, hey, you can't leave us right now, Kanchi, because I don't have the strength to hold any of these guys back if they start to attack again. And neither do Nimu or Nico in this case, right? And he's just like, I'm no shape to be a proper witch watch here, right? Because, yeah, they're in a witch watch, right? Um, we also get a little bit of a joke of that Tokito really just wants to escape and is trying to do it by any means nece necessary, right? Um, so, Kanji's like, all right, Morito, just wait a little bit longer. We'll make sure to get you that um, Twilight to incapacitate Ran. Eventually, we cut back over to the battle with Ran and Morito, where Morito is leaning up against a tree, and he's just thinking, like, man, I don't have too much energy left, and no and Ran knows that he knows that I can see it, and I mean, Ran can also see my energy levels, and he's just like, damn, is this really just checkmate, right? Um, he looks back to where Momochi and Miharu are as they're sort of leaving the battlefield, as Moi's just like, alright, good, you guys just need to get Nico off the mountain, um... I'll just do the most I can do right now is just buy all of you guys' time, all right? Um, Ryan sort of speaks up, like, hey, Morito, you're done right now. He's like, I'm going to put you down um, and see to make sure that Jura is brought to life, right? And Conchie's like, yeah, and you're going to build a world of warlocks? Something about that's been sounding off to me. I mean, you're not the kind of person to go along with stuff like that. He's like, you're after something else, aren't you? And, um, Rans is like, oh, ha, something you want to protect, huh? And he's like, Morito, I've lived for 160 years. I don't feel anything anymore. Not for this garbage world or the garbage people living in it. But I've got no choice but to go on living. It's a damn long road, and I didn't choose it for myself. I've got at least another 150 years before, or 1,500 years before, 1,500 years till old age gets me. He's like, can you even imagine? And he's like, one day a guy came up to me. He actually knew I was immortal. Um, and he said that the undying have the power to bring the dead back to life. My mother Uzu made an effective use of this during the Great War. And he told me that he needed that power to bring back the legendary warlock Jura. Pretty much saying, like, if he helped this mysterious guy, then he'd grant my deepest wish in exchange. And Ron then just says, like, hey, my ultimate goal is to die. As we cut to sort of like a bit of a flashback where Ron is actually talking with this guy, right? Um, they do a little bit of talking about some special plant tea, right? Um, and this guy's like, hey, it's one of my favorite ways to enjoy tea. It's the most I can really offer here at the moment, right? Um... And Ron's just like, oh, yeah, well, I admit you weren't lying when you say you're the witch. I mean, I fully believe you now, right? And this and this witch guy's just like, oh, man, well, I'm glad we could clear all that up so quickly, right? As we see that they're sitting on this, like, tree substance thing, right? As we see that Ron's like, so you can manipulate anything? And this guy just says, yes, as long as it's a plant. Obviously saying that, yes, he was the one who mani manipulated this tree to be able to become a bench for the two of them to sit on. It is just an amazing visual that 
it is just like a 10 out of 10 right there, right? Um, eventually they just like keep on talking, and this guy, and the witch is just like, hey, for you and dying to die, they have to pass on their power to a successor, and he's like, hey, Saron, if you have a child, you might be able to die and um, pass it on, right? Bronn is like, hey, I'm not doing that. My mother gave birth to me so she could die. Um, even if this power is a curse, I'm ending this vicious cycle with my own generation. He's like, I swore that decades ago. Um, this other witch guy's like, oh, well, I'm sure that that's kind of man you are. He's like, so that's why I figured I'd alter, I'd give you an alternate method. As he puts a bone of Uzu down on the table, pretty much saying like, hey, this is one of Uzu's bones, a bone of your dead mother. If we bring Jura back to life, um, we can bring her back from the dead, which means that she would then be undying again, which means that you would lose the power of undying because there can only be one person with the undying power at once. Um, and pretty much... Ron explains this to Morito. Morito's like, alright, so that's what you're after. And he's just like, ah, yes, I'm... And they promised, if I helped him out, they promised me to give my mom's bone back. And Morito's like, oh. And he's like, yeah, I get one to see your mom again. Because, of course, Morito's mom is actually dead also, right? And Ron is like, no, I just want to die. I don't care about any of that. This is my revenge, right? He's like, I'll take the curse you put me and shove it back in her face and I can finally say goodbye to this garbage world. And Morris is like, hey, are you really sure there's nothing important to you in the entire world, right? But as they just eventually gotta keep talking, Rand's just like, hey, Morito, just please let me die. I don't even care anymore about this life. I just want to die. Morito then just looks up and sees that behind Ron, there are a bunch of crows flying about, and he's just like, crows and that many? This must be Conchi's doing, as he sees that everybody's now in a gazebo not too far away, where Conchi's on the roof, just like using his black, uh, his bird black and sky move to sort of summon all the crows, and they're all looking for the twilight. There's a little bit of narration just talking about how if Miharu tries to throw the hot twilight after they get it again, um, Ron will be able to sense it with bright eyes and it won't be able to work. So, and also Momochi, her teleportation isn't too good right now. So the only way they can get it is if they teleport the, um, what's it called? The twilight into Morito's hand to go and actually fight Ran. So Morito can get it in Ran himself and not have to worry on anybody else, right? So as all of this is happening, Morito eventually just stands up off street. He's like, hey, this is our last shot. We have a plan and we have to make this count. And that's where we end off on Witch Watch. Um, this is a sort of interesting chapter from beginning to end. I really like getting to see all of the stuff with Ron and this mysterious witch dude because it is such a great fantasy trope when you sort of get this idea of, oh, hey, you're a witch or a wizard or whatever, and all of a sudden, there's this tree that cannot have been created any other way. It sort of gives a sense of intrigue and mystery into it, and it's just really fun to see. And then eventually, like, yeah, Shonen, we're going to get back up and finish this out. It's a good chapter. I don't have anything else to say about it. And with that, this is the end of the video here, right? But before we get on to that, we are going to be talking about what I thought about all of these series and where do I rank every single one of them, right? So... My favorite series this week was indeed Blue Box. I just really loved all the comedy that had it in it and all the also emotionally charged moments throughout. Then was Witch Watch, which I just gave my explanation on. I thought it was a really cool chapter seeing the fantasy aspects come to life. I really enjoyed it. Then My Hero Academia sort of seeing Toshinori's like, hey, I'm cool, right? Um, 
And the next up after my character game is Akane Banashi. I just really liked the introduction of Chocho and thought it was really fun. And from there we're going to Martial Master Sumi, Kill Blue, Undead Unluck, Nui's Exorcist, Kagura Bachi, Mama Yu, the Ichidose Family Deadly Sins, Two on Ice, and the Elusive Samurai. The Elusive Samurai was definitely terrible, like I said. I don't have anything good to say about it, so I'm not going to say anything at all because it wouldn't be worth any of our times. So, that's what I sort of thought. I definitely think that Blue Box through, um... Mostly Akane Banashi were all great chapters. Then running up that middle with um, Martial Master Sumi through like Kagura Bachi. And then from Mami Yu to the end, it's like, yeah, they weren't amazing, but it was fine. So, like I said, this was a sort of mediocre weekend jump. Uh, but the final thing is, who was my MVP of the week? I chose Chocho Kanjakite just because he had such a great introduction. Like, I just had to give it to him in a way. Like, there's no way I couldn't. Like, the only other character was, I don't know maybe Ayame, but, like, yeah, I think Chocho was, like, the only great option here, but, I mean, Mitsuoka, I did like Mitsuoka, what am I kidding myself, but Chocho was definitely the best, right? But with that, that's all 13 chapters here, and I hope you guys enjoyed this video, and if you did, hope you won't mind, watch some of the arms I have on the channel, I talk about Weekly Show and Jump a lot, so... If you like this, maybe you won't mind go checking out some of those other things I have. Podcast-like format. I don't know how you could go wrong there. Also, if you like it, hope you won't mind subscribing to the channel. It doesn't really take much effort, but it really helps me out. And if you do like the content, that's one way to easily show me that, hey, I'm doing something right here. Because I, I genuinely enjoy, enjoy talking about this stuff. And I I'm glad to do it to an audience like you guys. And with that, I really don't have too much else to say. Um, if you guys have any comments just leave them down in the description box down below i'll check them out and yeah maybe we talk about them next time but yeah another great issue show jump issue number 44 of 2023 and yeah i don't know i have too much else to talk about this will be cool plasma 231